Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 113 of VRP Rocks, the ultimate classic rock podcast that says that my music is better than yours. Make sure to subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app right now so that you don't miss a single episode. They come out each and every Monday and always feature big-name rock stars that found fame in the 60s, 70s, or the 80s. And if you're a new listener, please do check back through the catalogue. There's an awful lot of interviews for you to enjoy of the stars telling their amazing stories from their legendary careers. Now, today's episode wraps up a hat-trick of members of Twisted Sister. Now, I'm going to be honest, this wasn't planned this way, but sometimes guest availability and things like that mean that certain people become available at different times. I've already interviewed Dee Snyder, the frontman, episode 98, and JJ French, episode 111. And today it's guitarist Eddie Fingers Ojeda. Now, I'll stop there. His name, it does get pronounced in different ways, but I did clarify with him before the interview how it was supposed to be said. That's the, the right way is Ojeda in Spanish, Ojeda. In high school, people called me Ojeda, so it's, you know, it's a Spanish name. But so yeah. for American reasons, I use Ojeda a lot. You know, okay. on stage. Eddie Ojeda it is then. 
So yeah, I've had some really good feedback on these interviews lately, even people saying they weren't big fans of the band, but having listened to the interviews, they've been very enlightening and entertaining, so thank you very much. And I can tell you that today's interview is going to be no different. Twisted Sister was made up of very different personalities, and Eddie certainly gives a different reflection on what happened for the band. He has some really interesting things to say about the PMRC hearings with the Senate. Remember when Dee Snyder and John Denver and Frank Zappa stood up against the censorship battle? Well, Eddie now thinks they were wrong to go against it so publicly, and he explains why. He speaks of the jealousy within the band over the fact that his famous guitar got a lot of attention. He says they created a monster by bringing D into the group, and he says lots more as well. It's another fascinating chat, and like I said, it gives a totally different angle on the event, so I hope you're really going to enjoy this one. So here you go. This is Twisted Sister guitarist Eddie Fingers Ojeda. Eddie Ojeda, it's an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Um, we've been building up to this for a few weeks now, so I'm looking forward to, to hearing your stories. First of all, though, Eddie, I mean, Fingers, where did the name come from? All right, that came from, like, a lot of times, for some reason, I would be doing something and end up cutting my finger. One time I got a pretty bad cut. I forgot what I was working on. And uh, probably something with a knife. <laughs> and I had a pretty bad cut on one of my fingers. And it happened... Not a lot, a lot, but a few times a year, you know. So one time this, you know, I was playing and there was there was a lot of blood like all over the strings from because it was really oozing. So D just came up with the name, Hey Fingers, and that just kind of stuck. It's Fetty Fingers because it was kind of making fun out of the whole thing, making it look like a funny thing instead of a <laughs> a bad thing. That's that's all it is. Oh, there you go, and absolutely stuck. Uh, so, yeah, let's go back to the early days then. I mean, that kind of the early period where you guys worked so hard and you grafted away for so long, but the scene was was really impressive for you guys coming through. I mean, you used to sell out shows all across the, the kind of state area and everything like that, and you really had a really big following, didn't you? But let's just talk quickly about the scene itself because Kiss kind of came through at that sort of period as well. So did you guys kind of cross paths with, with Gene and Paul and Ace and all these sorts of people at that time, and, and what was it like? Not really, because they, they sort of, they made it in the 70s, you know. Uh, and I've, I'm really good friends with Ace. So he didn't live far from me in the Bronx. And we had mutual friends, you know, so uh, I've known him a long time. And uh, But they went through a whole different scene. They used to play, you know, a club, this club in Queens called the Coventry and different places like that. And uh, I think we had a much harder time than they did. Uh, getting, you know, signed. That's because we really, I mean, we really worked a lot. The whole tri-state area, you know, like a hundred mile radius. But uh, we used to pack the clubs. I mean, one time we were playing this place called the Fountain Casino and it was really a catering place, but it could hold 5,000 people. So one time we did a show there and it was sort of like one of those mini festivals. We had a bunch of other bands. And like five, the place was so packed, they had to open up all these extra, because usually they have separate rooms and so the walls move. They had to open up the whole place. It's like 5,000 people showed up on a weeknight. So it was, it was fun. So did you ever get to the point where, because obviously we've, I've spoken to uh, JJ and, and, and D in the last few months as well, and mm -hmm. the, the amount of work that you guys did, you grafted for so long and you, you plugged away and you kept going, you kept getting rejection letters from everywhere and you just kept trying. I mean, did was there ever a point where you thought, just, just pack it in, or was the, the drive and determination always there for you guys? Well, I think that we just weren't going to give up, you know, and we were doing well playing all these clubs because, you know, we could pack a room any night of the week. 
so there was plenty of work for us or a way for us to support ourselves. But I mean, we sort of got signed right at the right time because uh, sort of the bottom fell out after that for the whole club scene. Uh, so a lot of the other bands that were doing the same as we were, the whole scene died because the whole kind of DJ movement came in. So a lot of people were using, starting to do that thing instead of having live bands, which doesn't happen here in Nashville. There's plenty of live bands here. <laughs> That's the good thing. That's one thing I like about here. Musicians can make a living here, you know? Yeah. The people that, that you see here playing, they're all like great musicians. There's, you can't go into a bar and find somebody that's not good uh, or even mediocre. They're all like great musicians here. So it's pretty awesome. So how did you make that move or when did you make that move down to Nashville from from where you were? Uh, well, I, I bought this place in 2018 and then I moved here full time just before the pandemic hit. Like it was only in New York and it was only a matter of time Boy, it was everywhere. Like a month later, after I moved here permanently, it just blew up. Man. I mean, you know what happened. It just went worldwide insane. It was right out of a movie, like a science fiction film, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Surreal, wasn't it? Yeah. Pretty scary. And um, going back again to, to, to the early part of the days, I mean, I spoke to D, who said that obviously he joined after you and JJ were in the band and, right. and he was a little bit younger than you guys as well. And he said that he always kind of felt almost alienated in a way. He, he felt like he had something to prove to you guys, the older guys, the cooler guys all the time. <laughs> did you feel like, did you get that impression from him from those early days? Um, not really. Not until, I mean, but I guess he was right. You know, I, I kind of remember us giving him a bit of a hard time. He says, well, can you do better? He says, then he was quiet. Then he kind of showed us <laughs> that he could do it, you know? So <laughs> we kind of asked for it. But uh, <laughs> he was pretty diabolical about it. So, <laughs> But I understand why, you know, because we were like the cool Manhattan, got New York City guys, you know, and he was uh, a suburb dude. And, uh, you know, so it was a bit of a hard time there we gave him, but. He proved himself. And what do you remember of, of kind of recruiting him, bringing him, in, bringing him into the band? What were your early impressions of him? Um, we thought he was pretty amazing. I mean, he was really into Robert Plant at the time. And we were big Zeppelin fans. We did, at one time, we were almost like a Zeppelin band. Uh, we did a lot of, I think we did a lot of songs off um, the first Zeppelin album. And uh, he could do all that high stuff. He sounded, he was very good at, you know, imitating plan even the moves he kind of had the whole moves and, and the hair so from a distance he looked like robert plant but not of close of course <laughs> but from a distance he looks like robert plant from the back of the room so let's hire him no but he was uh you know he was really it was an awesome audition he did a great job and we we got got him in the band because it was just kind of us we myself jj and kenny were doing the singing and it was just kind of tough on us to try and play and sing. And we just decided to get a, a lead singer. And I think he's he's the only guy we really tried out because it was through, um, we had a booking agent. He was in a band called Peacock. And uh, he wasn't happy with them. And this, we, they had the same booking agent as us. It was called CTA. This guy named Kevin Brenner. And he was, uh, he knew that he wasn't happy and we were looking for a singer, so he recommended D to us, and it really worked out for all of us, you know. So that's how it sort of happened. But it was uh, 
the first auditions were up in Hunter Mountain. It's one of our gigs. They were up in uh, in a ski resort. So and we used to play there quite a bit. But then it's just things just kind of blew up after we got D. We were able to do all these other Zeppelin songs because he could sing all the Robert Plant stuff. And and just, you know, a lot of stuff that lead singers do. Uh, he was definitely that kind of, had that voice. So that's how it sort of happened. Yeah. And the stage presence as well, I'm guessing, it's straight away. Yeah, he built, it's funny because we kind of created a monster. <laughs> think about it. Because he slowly developed into who D. Snyder is, you know, the character that he is now. Um, and, you know, it was cool to watch. He had very good, he was very good with the crowds, but he really developed it over the time. And uh, he just got better and better at it, you know, to like the way he performs now, which is very difficult. Well, it's getting more difficult now, but um, he really puts a lot in there. I, th I know he's still doing some shows, but I know it's getting a little more difficult because he likes to perform at a certain level and physically it's very demanding. So, you know, we're not getting any younger. So, we could, I mean, we can still rock out, but not like we could in the 20s, you know, when we were in our 20s, <laughs> you know. Can't move quite as much or jump off platforms <laughs> like we used to. <laughs> Uh, be careful nowadays. Um, what I liked about the, the early days of the band as well was that you guys were so focused in making it. I mean, money comes, obviously, um, a lot of people blow it on, on different things, the rock and roll lifestyle, shall we say. But you guys were so focused that you invested that money back into the band, didn't you, in equipment and, and costumes and everything else that came with it. So so where did that, that drive and, and focus come from? It just sort of happened. And then D was a big part of that, too. Uh, he had a girlfriend that was very talented. She was a designer, a clothes designer. So she went to a, she actually went to FIT for for design. It's Fashion Institute of Technology in Manhattan. And she started making his clothes. And then eventually she started making stuff for the whole band. And it just became a thing that we felt we had to do just for the show, like building it up. And that's another thing to progress over time, you know. And then the and same thing with the makeup. It started out kind of glammy, but we were like big guys. We weren't, you know, it didn't really suit us. So it turned more into like war paint. That's the way I looked at it because my, my makeup was very much like war paint, you know, that I used to do. And uh, that evolved too. Like we got rid of that, that sort of glam look and was more of a tough look instead of, uh, I forgot the uh, hit rock. Yeah, like hideous. <laughs> Was there ever a point that you, you felt it gone too far or you, you wanted to kind of lay off them, the makeup and the and the, the big outfits, the flamboyant stuff? Or, or was it just part of Twisted Sister and you knew you just had to kind of go along with it? Yeah, it was just part of us. It fit the band. You know, we were all comfortable with it. And, you know, even for yourself, it kind of psychs you out when you get put on the clothes and everything. It makes it more of a real visual show, not just music. You know, not just standing there playing. And... uh it's like everything, it just developed. It got better and better, you know? And then it just became a staple for us to have that look. And it sort of came back with a lot. I mean, it started with Bowie back in the day and it sort of went away for a while. And then it sort of came back in the 80s, like bands like Poison, Motley Crue, Us, you know? Uh, that's sort of glamish or using makeup on stage, um, which a lot of bands still do you know, in different, different type of uh, genres, but... You know, it makes it more of a show, I think. 
you know, having real outfits or trying to dress up, not dress down, you know, which some bands do. It looks like they show up looking like rock stars. They go on stage like they're ready to go to the beach. It's very true. It does happen. You mentioned, yeah, you, you mentioned Bowie and the glam and sort of things. Were, were you a fan of kind of the British glam kind of movement then? Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, I mean, when I first heard David Bowie, I was kind of blew my mind. He kind of, Ziggy Stardust album was like so different from anything I've ever heard, yeah. you know. It still stands, it still has a place today. It still sounds great, that record. You know, uh, you know, Mick Ronson, the guitarist, it was just, it was, it was awesome, you know. So we we were into it, and Dee was very much a Alice Cooper fan um, in his early days. Alice Cooper and certain bands, but... Um, yeah, that's what it was. Basically, we were—I mean—that's really sort of inspired us to to do the makeup again. And again, in, in terms of inspiring you, I mean, who who inspired you to to be a guitarist? Who are the sort of people that you were trying to emulate or look up to? It's definitely all the English guys, you know, Beck, Clapton, um, of course, Jimi Hendrix, but you know, everybody like Townsend, you know, all those. Uh, that whole British invasion thing was pretty awesome too. So that was the first thing that. You know, we were into like I was really into Cream and uh, and Hendrix big time, and that sort of evolved into what Bowie did, and then yeah, but that was definitely a big influence that got me to play guitar, and also the Beatles, of course. You know, when uh, when they played on Ed Sullivan, which you know a lot of so many musicians, because like seventy million people saw that show, so a lot of musicians that show changed a lot of guys people's lives it created a lot of other people that said hey i, I want to do that for a living you know because it was a band it wasn't just like a solo artist like presley you know before it was like just one we didn't see bands make it that big you always saw like a so like a guy like presley but um you know it was it was just very much that that whole thing really influenced a lot of people i think just worldwide not just in america you know, that whole English thing yeah. took off. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of England, obviously, you made a big impression, as we said, in the, in the tri-state area, but it wasn't until you kind of came to England and that the success started to build for you. And well, the time that you came to England, kind of the early 80s, it was a pretty bleak place. It was post-punk. It was Thatcher years. There was strikes going on. There was, there was all that sort of melting pot of, of social angst and stuff. So what were your memories of, of England at that time? Um. Yeah, like you said, the punk thing was pretty big. I remember going down to uh, the center of town, you know, in London, and it was a, it was kind of a little bit dangerous sometimes with some of the guys that were, you know, because a lot of the, the punk movement, a lot of the guys were into being violent, you know. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, you had to watch where you were going. But, um, you know, what happened was there was a huge buzz about us in England. People were, there was bootleg tapes of our live shows and i forgot somebody some somebody that was visiting told us man you guys are like really big people in england love you guys they're buying all the bootleg tapes so that's how we ended up signing with an english label and that started the whole thing secret records which was a good name for the record company because it was pretty well kept secret <laughs> 
And then in terms of, of being over here, you, you guys played famously Reading Festival and it went down an absolute storm and, mm-hmm. and Motorhead were involved and Lemmy was a huge fan of the band, wasn't he? I mean, what, what's your memories from that incredible day? Well, yeah, Lemmy was great because um, I think the first show we ever did, we opened for Motorhead, which, you know, their fans are all <laughs> dudes in motorcycle jackets, you know, and, and uh, we were kind of nervous about it. They said, oh, man, they're going to kill us going out there with makeup. Like, so we were scared. And then Lemmy came in and said, you know, I really like you guys. I'm a, so he introduced us. He came out and, and introduced us to the audience. And it went great. You know, their fans, their, their fans loved us. Maybe I think Lenny's endorsement definitely helped a whole lot for the acceptance. But nobody gave us crap about the makeup, which... Uh, we were all kind of scared about. I think the makeup quickly gets forgotten about once they see the way we look and perform. You know, I think the whole glam thing just to say, wait, why are these guys wearing makeup? They look like they want to beat the shit out of somebody. <laughs> but because uh, we kind of gave off that tough thing, which at times we were kind of the tough, you know. There was a lot of certain situations, you know, that happen when you're, playing that uh you know you have to sort of get uh security involved let's put it that way um but most of the time it was pretty good can't complain and then obviously we have to talk about stay hungry because that was the, the huge breakthrough kind of put you on the map properly especially back in america you you guys were accepted there i mean during that making of that record then and getting those songs down did you have the feeling that this could be the one you know i sort of did but of course, you never know what's going to happen. Did I expect it to be as big as it got? No, I didn't expect that. Nobody ever does, you know, because you go from like, you know, you're a famous local band and now you're a famous national band to being a famous inter- international band. And it happens quite quickly uh, once you go that route. So it's kind of great to know you can play anywhere and pack a place. And, uh, you know, we are, we also toured with Iron Maiden for almost a year. And uh, it was funny because our videos were being played on MTV, but Maiden, I don't think Maiden had even done videos at, at that time. Um, so we were opening for Maiden, but we were getting all this TV exposure at the same time. So, uh, and usually sometimes when you open for somebody, like the people sort of drift in at eight o'clock. You know? but with us, with that tour, at 8 o'clock, it was packed. It was, you know, the room was, it was full. You know, people came to see us, too. And Maiden was, they were great about it. You know, they were great. They didn't limit us or anything. You know, they uh, they were a great band to tour with. Yeah. Great. And just speaking of bands you toured with, because you, you, you toured with so many amazing ones, Ronnie James Dio and Dio and things like that. Yeah. I mean, what are some of the standouts for you, apart from Maiden, then? The thing is, Dio had a gigantic stage in this big mountain. And, you know, we had very little room to perform, but it was still, we still did our thing and it was, it was cool. But it was, there wasn't much room on the stage anymore. Uh, so that was the tough part of that tour, you know, having a big production like that where the whole stage is being used. You only have like a little lip. Um, yeah. In fact, we played Red, uh, Red Rocks. I don't know if you ever heard of that place. Oh yeah, Canyon. yeah. It's a beautiful place, but 
you know, it's like a that kind of theater where I think they just built it into the mountain. And it was pouring rain that day. And, and that stage in particular, we really had no space and we were where all the rain fell. You know? Oh no. So we played in like a drenched rain for like a whole set. I don't even know how we did it without getting electrocuted. But that was a tough one. I still remember that gig being like miserable on stage. You know, it's one of the toughest shows ever. But, you know, Ronnie was a great guy. I mean, we, you know, we loved him and he loved us. I mean, we, we felt very welcomed. And so it didn't matter. You know, we still did our thing. Absolutely. Uh, we've got to mention the the big songs as well. I mean, you created, well, they weren't just songs, they were anthems. They were played everywhere. They've crossed into popular culture in so many different ways. I mean, how do you feel when you're watching TV or you've got a, the movies on or a sports game or something like that, you know, and, and one of your songs comes on? How does that feel? Oh, it feels great, you know, because now you know, like, wow, this is millions of people are listening to this right now, uh, especially like the Super Bowl commercial, stuff like that, where it's insane the amount of people that that watched Super Bowl. So, and two years ago there was a really good Super Bowl commercial where they used "I Want to Rock," and also it's a payday. You know that doesn't hurt either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those uh, when you have songs like that, they're sort of iconic and songs that never really get old. That anthem rock thing, uh, it can do it can do well for you as far as being able to support yourself from playing music because, you know, it's a very volatile world, the music world, just like acting, you know. Uh, very few people get to make it. So it's talent, but also a lot of luck and being in the right place at the right time. It's all timing. You know, just got to, you got to get a bit lucky with, with because there's tons of great bands and musicians that never get anywhere, you know, which is sad. But got to find your niche. That's what kind of we did. Everybody has their way of getting in. So, so anybody who's made it really big, they always have something unique that makes it happen, you know? I've got to mention as well, Eddie, that, that beautiful guitar that's sitting behind you, the bullseye guitar. And give us, give us some background on that. Where did that come from? Where did the idea come from? How did it stick with you? And, and what, what, what do you love about it so much? Okay, what happened was we were using these cabinets. They looked like 4 by 12 cabinets, looked quite like Marshall Speaker's cabinets. But these are called Sound City. And they had like metal grating and you could see the speakers, you know, and they had circles. So we had painted all the circles around the speakers. This might be able to find an old picture of that set somewhere, but we used that. We put Celestial speakers. We kind of customized those speakers and, and used the Marshall heads. And um, they were circles. And our logo, it has a bullseye behind the, if you look at the logo, it's kind of like a, a bullseye with the yeah. logo inside. So I just said to uh, Charvel, they were started making that, that company, it was the new company, they started making all these graphic Stratocaster style guitars. Um, so I told them to make me a pink and black one, pink and black circles. I didn't specify bullseye. And when I got the guitar, I said, oh, okay, this is quite cool. I never expected it to become this well-known thing. Like, you know, I was kind of shocked. It became a bit iconic. I'm not trying to brag about it. I'm just like, it surprised me too. That, and I mean, I've even seen uh, ads for the band 
that we're playing, and they'll have a picture of my guitar, you know, with a, a picture of the band in front of it. I'm like, and I've seen that quite a bit. Um, it does spark a bit of jealousy at times with other members, but I didn't, I wasn't out to do that. I wasn't trying to like showboat or like, hey, look at me. I just decided to get a cool, you know, graphic guitar because that was the thing at the time. People were starting to do that, the custom graphic designs, and they were relatively cheap to get it. You know, I think you could get one done for like seven, eight hundred dollars you know, at the time. And so it was, you know, like, like I said, I never expected because that people see that guitar and they know it's the guy from Twisted Sister. They might not know my name, but they know you know, me from the guitar. So yeah. it kind of has a life of its own. I should give it its own uh, Twitter page at this point. It's <laughs> a great idea, yeah. <laughs> People have things with dogs and stuff like that nowadays, don't they? It's crazy. Um, in terms of, the, you mentioned a bit of jealousy then. What, what, what was said and, and who was saying it? Nobody said anything, but, you know, you can sense it, I guess. Nobody said anything. I think in the beginning people were cool about it, but I, don't, I think towards... As the years went on, I think there was a certain spark of uh, jealousy there, um, which wasn't, wasn't my intention, you know. Uh, but, I mean, it happens with bands, no matter what it is. Even if it's not a guitar, it'll be something else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just notorious. Band, you know, five guys in the same band touring, all being together all the time, it's difficult. You know, you have all these personalities. At the same time, you're becoming famous. So the ego, everybody's ego gets a little more out of control. And that's when stuff, stuff starts hitting the fan, so to, so to speak. <laughs> and talking about fame and, and coming with the territory and things like that, um, obviously you faced many challenges along the way, especially the, the whole censorship thing that, that blew up as well. And, and D was a powerful voice in that, wasn't he? So how did you feel about all that when it was happening? That I wish we would have stayed out of. You know, that whole, especially like, I think if you're a musician or um, an actor or well-known musician, uh, I think you should keep your opinion about censorship to yourself, you know, uh, or may, maybe make comments of it, but I think we went a bit far with it. Um, I mean, I think it was kind of cool to stand up for your rights, but, you know, I think in the long run, it you know, wasn't... Uh, wasn't a good thing to go to Congress and try to like take them on because they don't like to lose. And, you know, D did a great job of representing himself and uh, they weren't happy about it. They thought they were going to get some drunken, drugged out fool show up and embarrass himself and, you know, put more nails in the coffin, so to speak. And, um, but it didn't go that way. So, yeah, I think it ended up, even though it was a positive thing, it also took a toll, you know, on the band. So, like I said, I just think um, it's one thing to be involved in or support something, but it's another thing when you head it up and be part of something that's, and get too involved in it, because then uh, it can end up hurting your career, I think. I mean, especially with, like, with Donald Trump, people... People actually, there's families that don't speak to each other because they somebody voted for Trump. People have taken that so far. 
And it never used to be like that. I mean, people say, okay, this guy got voted in, fine. I didn't vote for him, but let's see what happens. But now the division is just insane. Like I said, people just take it too far now. The whole, all the political stuff that's going on, it's crazy. In terms of that going to Congress and things, I mean, obviously that's that's your thoughts on it now of seeing what's happened. At the time, were you all guns for it? Were you thinking this was the best thing to do, the right thing to do? Or did you have doubts at the time? At the time, I thought it was the right thing to do. But, you know, after what happened from it, I said like, well, maybe we that's kind of, I didn't really think about it much till after that happened. Mm-hmm. Then I said, you know, I'm going to keep my opinion about this stuff. I'm not going to, when people ask me about politics, I'm not going to tell them who I support. Just stay out of it. It's my, that's personal. That's private, you know. And that's, you know, that's the way I think people should keep it. And what sort of kickback did you get from, from I don't know, the government, the, the people, the powers that be after uh, D stood up the way he did at Congress? Um, I'm not sure, but it seemed like, uh, I just thought it hurt our popularity. And I don't know if they had something to do with it. I think some of the guys' phones were tapped, stuff like that. And he, you know, it was him, Frank Zappa, and John Denver went to Congress. Of course, John Denver, I mean, a little folk guy, nobody's going to care. But I think, uh, and friends and Zappa was sort of very risky. But us being sort of this rock band, I, I don't know if they had influence with the radio stations or whatever. But it was just kind of weird. That, you know, we sort of had a bit of a hard time after that. Until the reunion, until we finally came back, I think 2004, I think we uh, did the first tour, reunited. Around that time, definitely. Um, And talking about that, that reunion tour and everything, everything just kind of, it blew up for you. I spoke to to JJ, as I said earlier, and um, he was saying you you guys came back and all of a sudden you're headliners in Europe and you're headlining over all these massive bands and everyone welcomed you back and you were were superstars again. I mean, how did that feel at that time to to come back and, and be received that way? Well, it was it was great because we were all broke, <laughs> so <laughs> it was really good. Uh, the fact that we came back as big, we were bigger than ever, you know. And I think a part of that was that we we just like a lot of other bands broke up, and there was three versions of the band, and only one guy with the four other guys, you know. But we always we we didn't do that, and we came back with all the original members, all the guys that were in the videos. So I think that had a lot to do with it. It was the original band. The fact that we were now headlining all these huge festivals where we used to be, we used to open up in the daytime. I remember being like fourth or fifth on the bill, you know, and now we're headlining, you know, so it was awesome. I felt like it was well-deserved too. It was about time. I thought that finally we got that recognition. It took a long time, you know, so it was definitely awesome. And it's still like, you know, even, I mean, we stopped touring in 2016, but, you know, we left like on top, you know, we, we could have kept working, but we just said, that's it. And after 40 years, so we said, and now I think because a lot of bands are retiring bands like Kiss and stuff aren't going to be touring anymore. They like, they want a lot of these, it's a lot of people still want to see the eighties bands, you know? So I think offers are coming in, but I don't know what's going to happen with that because, I mean, I guess there's a number. If they reach the right number, people will get back together no matter what, right? I mean, there's a magic number somewhere. 
There is, isn't there? There is money talks. Um, talking about something that, that, that was long overdue as well, the, the Metal Hall of Fame, you guys were inducted into that uh, last year, I think it was. And um, you were meant to be obviously involved, but you missed out on playing on the night, didn't you? Yeah, I ended up getting COVID. Typical. Maybe people thought I was lying, but I, no, I ended up getting COVID. And, you know, they wanted me to go anyway. And I said, well, I, I don't want to get on a plane. I know I, I know I have COVID. I think it's kind of crappy, even if I wear a mask. Plus, I'm starting to feel pretty bad. <laughs> you know, that, I'm, you know, you're, you're sick. You know, it's a, and when I got it, it was bad. It wasn't like some people get like it's just like a cold. But it depends on the person. But uh, myself and my wife got it too, obviously. But um, it was bad. Like it was like it lasted two weeks. So. Had I gone and played anyway, first of all, nobody would have wanted to be, be near me. I would, right? I would have had to stay in my room until the last minute, have people walking 10 feet in front of me, 10 feet. I mean, I don't know what, what you know, I would have been on stage, but if I'd been near anybody, they would have walked up. You know, it would, it would have been real awkward. You know, you can't go on stage with something, a contagious disease. And what about meeting people, the meet and greets and stuff? You know, it would have been too weird. And plus, I yeah. feel well, you know. I feel like beginning on a plane. Something else to ask you about a project you're involved with, um, the Hearing Aid Project. It was uh, yeah. something that you got involved with. Again, Ronnie James Dio, you probably knew from from touring well, with him. I mean, what do you remember about that, and how did you get involved with that one? Um, well, Vivian Campbell called me up for that because we had okay. we had become fairly good friends on the tour, and always stayed in touch. So I was in L.A. at the time. Was I? No, yeah, I was in L.A. at the time. And uh, he had called me and said, hey, I want you to, we're getting all these people to play on the record. We're doing this thing for African Relief. And I said, sure, great, count me in. And, uh, you know, actually, Nikki Six drove me to the session because I was friends with Nikki at the time. And uh, we used to hang out quite a bit. So uh, I'm surprised they didn't ask. I mean, they had Vince do it, but they didn't ask anybody else in, in crew to, to uh, join in so I don't know if that bothered anybody but I mean I don't think it did but yeah but it, that's you know Vivian called me and I just said right, and you know I was real good friends with Ronnie as well too you know so it, it was a good time and it was I was going to say was it was it a fun experience because it it's, yeah, it's it different was, isn't it when you get all these different people from different bands yeah, together was, on a project yeah it was a lot of fun I mean for me it was I don't know if <laughs> um, the egos seemed to be in check at the time for that whole thing. Um, yeah, and I think Ted Nugent was a little upset that they didn't ask him to play guitar because you know Ted he goes, he looks, he puts that whole, does his whole thing. So he kept saying, "Let me play some guitar on that record. Kids, those kids will never be starving again." I'm like, okay, well, it was funny. It was Ted was being Ted. <laughs> but I, that's about it. I don't think uh, it's pretty good vibes, you know. Um, after that, after one of the sessions, I think we all went to uh, Kevin Dubrow's house to have a little yeah. fun get together or an excuse to do some drinking, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> one of the two things. But um, yeah, we went to his house. It was myself, George Lynch uh, from Wasp. Uh, well, it's a couple of different people 
that were there. It was a fun time. There was a lot of people that showed up. It was A&M Studios in California, which uh, a lot of people that live in California just came down to hang, even though they weren't going to be singing or playing. So it, it drew a lot of people there. Uh, it was a great hang. I mean, meeting all, being with everybody and all in the same room. It's pretty awesome. Got to say that. It's a fun thing. You think about it. You know, here you are with it. All the rock dudes in the business uh, at the time, so it was definitely fun, and it definitely was uh, complimenting to me as far as you know, asking me to play on it. You know, out of all these great players, so yeah. it was definitely uh, it was a nice thing. And um, one last question, Eddie, is something I ask everybody. It puts you on the spot. Um, what's your favorite song from your own back catalogue, and why? Oh, wow. I would have to say probably the price. And because, you know, I came up with the intro solo, you know, the beginning, the that whole melody thing. And the solo has been like admired by a lot of people. Like it's on, it's like a, about 20 guys on YouTube showing people how to play that song. Which uh, is very cool. You know, it's uh, very nice for that. It's very flattering to see people do that. Something that you came up with, that you created. And um, because, you know, as far as solos, I always wrote all my solos. And um, I'm a song guy. I'm not, I don't want to like, I like playing stuff that fits the song. And, you know, I like playing melodically. I'm not like, I'm not into being the super speed kind of riffer guy, you know. So, you know, that's right. That's the main reason I like it. But then um, probably the next one would be I Want to Rock. And again, you know, I I like the solo I did in it, you know, so maybe that's. But, you know, we have a lot of good songs, but the, the price tends to stand out. Uh, like I said, because I've seen, I go on YouTube and I see all these people uh, giving lessons on it, which is awesome. Yeah. I should do it. I should do it. <laughs> Absolutely, there you go. That's a channel for you, right there. Yeah, but that's uh, yeah, the guys. Some of the guys are doing a good job, so let them do it. It's fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Eddie, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you for this hey. last hour or so. Thank you so much for your time, yeah. and uh, best of luck with everything moving forward. You too, man. Nice to meet you, and I hope to get to Scotland again someday. Come and see the castles and the lochs. That's, that's it. Awesome. There you go, Eddie Ojeda there. Please check out the other interviews with Twisted Sister members to get their versions of the time in the band. D. Snyder, episode 98. Uh, JJ French, episode 111. All you got to do is scroll back and check them out and check out all the other big names I've interviewed over the last few years as well. There's hundreds of classic rock stars that I've spoken to and you can listen to all their interviews right here on the VRP Rocks podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your app, whatever you use, so you get all the future episodes. They're released every single Monday and you get big name classic rock stars every single time as well please leave vrp rocks a five-star review on that podcast app you use it makes a really big difference i know you can do it on different things now spotify thank you to joey michaud he left a nice five-star review on one of the recent episodes that you can do on spotify which is very cool uh, check out vrp rocks on youtube as well the channel is growing massively four and a half million views or something crazy like that now uh, the social media channels too it's always worth uh, following liking subscribing whatever it is on facebook instagram and twitter x whatever that's 
called and all that sort of stuff. Just keep involved with everything that's going on in the VRP Rocks world and there's going to be some new and exciting things coming very soon indeed. I've been teasing this for a few weeks now but I'm, I'm almost at the point where I can launch it. I am really excited to do this and it's something I've been wanting to do for a long, long time and I hope you get involved and get on board and enjoy it too. But that is still to come. So until next week's episode then, take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.